certainly thank God for all who have led us in worship today as we continue a sermon series called Epiphanies. We're looking at different scriptures and discussing different themes that involve or evoke an epiphany. Today I want to draw your attention to one of the most famous stories of epiphany in the whole Bible. Acts chapter 9, I'll read verses 1 through 20 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of the sermon is, A Story of Conversion. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus, And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. 
Back in the fourth century, St. Augustine sat beneath a fig tree with tears rolling down his cheeks. He was wondering how much longer he would delay converting to Christ, how much longer he would continue in his life of what he called ugly sin. Then he heard the voice of a child saying, take up and read, take up and read. So he picked up the scriptures he had with him and began reading the first passage that his eyes fell upon. It was Romans chapter 13. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries. Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Augustine said, as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. In the 19th century, Zilpha Elal was milking a cow and singing a spiritual when Christ suddenly appeared to her. I distinctly saw the Lord Jesus approach me with open arms, she wrote, and a most divine and heavenly smile upon his countenance. As he advanced toward me, I felt that his very looks spoke, and he said, your prayer is accepted. I own your name. From that day forward, Elaw never doubted this manifestation of Christ's love to her soul. From that happy hour, she wrote, my soul was set at glorious liberty. In the 20th century, C.S. Lewis evaluated various philosophies and religious traditions and gradually gravitated toward Christianity. Writing, he described the last step in his conversion process. I know very well when, but hardly how, the final step was taken. I was driven to Whipsnud one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. <laughs> Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought. It was more like when a man, after long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. These three narratives are only a few of the countless conversion stories belonging to the archives of church history. Although there are innumerable stories of Christian conversion, perhaps none is more influential than the account of Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road. The significance of this event is attested by the fact that it is recounted in detail in Acts 9 and Acts 22 and again in Acts 26. It's also referenced in Galatians 1, Philippians 3, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Timothy 1. This is the experience that transformed the man who is responsible for the authorship of 13 of the New Testament's 27 books. We're talking about the conversion of the man who was an unparalleled gospel witness 
to the nations. We're talking about the conversion that is often upheld as the ideal, the paradigm of Christian conversion. But today, rather than suggesting that everyone should have a conversion story just like Paul's, I want to investigate the insights in this conversion story that are instructive for us all. It begins quite personally with Christ calling to him, Saul, Saul. This was Paul's name at the time. The other travelers hear a voice, so we know something happened and that Paul was not hallucinating. Yet Paul experienced something that the others did not. The personal nature of Paul's conversion indicates that God reaches out to individuals in a variety of of personalized ways. As theologian Willie James Jennings writes, God comes to us one at a time, specifically, uniquely in the singularity that is our life. When God comes to us, conversion is more like a process than a single moment. There may be a moment of confirmation or a capstone to the experience, but conversion is always a process. Paul's story is often inaccurately remembered as an instantaneous reversal of his life, but Damascus was 150 miles from Jerusalem, so Paul was on no small journey when he saw the light. And after he saw the light, he fell down, he heard a voice, he went blind, he entered the city, and he went three full days without food or drink. He spent some time in prayer, and then Ananias came, laid hands on him, and delivered the divine message to him. Then, after all that, Paul was baptized. Clearly it was not the case that Paul saw the light and came to faith and got baptized and started preaching Christ all in one motion. His conversion didn't happen in an instant or even in a single day. Paul's conversion was a multifaceted process, including an encounter with Christ, a period without clear sight, ministry from a devoted Christian, and a time of personal prayer culminating in baptism. While this process certainly involved Paul, it was not initiated or accomplished by Paul. On the Damascus Road, Christ comes to Paul, not the other way around. Christ speaks to Paul first, not vice versa. This merciful movement of God toward humanity is called grace. The initial grace that allows us to put our faith in Christ is called prevenient grace. It's grace that precedes our faith. As Paul's case shows, grace comes to us precisely when we do not deserve it. In John 12, Jesus says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The grace of Christ lifted high on the cross, draws all people toward God. Grace is God's way of wooing us with 
unconditional love. We love because he first loved us, says 1 John. Grace is a spiritual magnetism tugging us toward Christ, not so much that we can't resist, but enough so that when we place our faith in Christ, we can say it was only because of the grace of God. Furthermore, the grace of God sparks enlightenment when received with faith. Paul saw a light so bright that it made the midday sun look dim by comparison. The light symbolizes an epiphany, a time of receiving divine revelation. Paul had been in such deep spiritual darkness that the light of revelation blinded him. If you think walking out of a movie theater into the afternoon sun is rough, just imagine the optical shock Paul experienced when he stared into the resplendent light of Christ. He had been violently persecuting Christians and participating in killing them in misguided religious zeal. But he made such a dramatic turn that he ended up joining them in their faith. The reason was that the crucified man they followed, whom Paul thought to be dead, spoke to him. Paul saw in that moment that Christ is alive. This is a key epiphany in Christianity, the recognition that the crucified Christ is risen and alive. While God was giving Paul this powerful vision, God was also giving a Christian named Ananias a vision so that Ananias could go and express the message to Paul. Ananias' vital role shows that Christian conversion is not only enabled by divine grace, but also facilitated by Christian ministry. Ananias said to Paul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's when the scales fell from Paul's eyes. It was when a Christian spoke the good news to him and laid hands on him and extended love to him that he finally began to see more clearly. We see here that conversion is not just me and Jesus. Conversion often happens in community and always ushers us into community. Christianity is a personal faith, but not an individualistic faith. We all need the ministry, wisdom, support, accountability, and encouragement of other believers. In other words, we all need the church. Notice that when Ananias arrived, he greeted Paul by calling him brother. This is stunning, a jaw-dropping moment. Ananias knew all about Paul's violent opposition to the gospel and the church, yet he also knew God's purpose for Paul to become a Christian and a missionary. 
So he called this man who had been so hateful toward him and his community, brother. He called this man who had left for Damascus with the express purpose of persecuting him and his Christian friends, brother. He called this man who was enemy, nemesis, adversary, and arch rival, brother. Bible scholar Beverly Roberts Gaventa observes that his first words to Paul enact Paul's changed identity. Brother, Ananias said, for Paul was now a member of the Christian family. The transformation of Paul's life and his entry into the church are both symbolized through the holy ritual of baptism. Paul's baptism shows that he had come to have faith in Christ. He had prayed, he was baptized, and soon thereafter he began declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. The beginning of conversion is the undeserved grace of God being extended to the human being through Christ. The end of conversion is when humans respond with faith and with baptism. Of course, there is still much, much more to learn and to do when conversion is complete. The journey is just beginning. The Christian moves forward in the continuous process of transformation and, and growth and maturity in faith. The Christian also moves forward on a mission. After being baptized and spending time with the disciples, Paul went to tell the good news that Jesus is the Son of God. His conversion story shows us that we're not only delivered from something, which is the power of sin and death, but we're also delivered for something, which is the Christian mission of witnessing to the great love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In Paul's story, we see that the great opponent of the gospel became its great champion. The great adversary of the gospel became its great advocate. The great enemy of the gospel became its great proponent. The one who was trying to snuff out the gospel ended up spreading the gospel all over the world. Paul's story reminds us of God's potential to transform people's lives, even those we might least expect to become Christians. Yet we should not assume on this basis that every conversion must be radical or dramatic or shocking. Many Christians can hardly remember a time when they were not Christians, because they were raised in church and developed faith early and received baptism at a very young age. Baptists have always been conversionists, meaning we believe each person must choose freely whether to believe in Christ. This is why we wait until a child has grown a bit and decides to convert to personal faith in Christ by their own decision to become baptized. While we want everyone to have a conversion experience, 
We don't promote a one-size-fits-all template, <laughs> nor do we say that one type of conversion excels another. At a church where I used to worship, there was a custodian named Chris. One day, Chris and I were talking in the hallway, and he asked me to share my testimony with him. So I told him how I grew up in a loving Christian home with parents that took me to church regularly. I told him how I learned about God and the Bible and the love of Christ and how I accepted Christ by faith at a young age. I told him how I had been growing spiritually and involved in church ever since, that I had had further encounters with Christ and other moments of enlightenment when I grew deeper in my spiritual walk. Then I asked him to share his testimony with me. Chris said he had a rough life for many years. He ended up homeless and living on the streets. He was eating out of trash cans and barely surviving day to day. A man gave him some sermon recordings to listen to, and they were horrifying. The preacher on the recordings said that God hates sinners, which is not true. And the preacher threatened everyone listening to his sermons with hellfire and eternal punishment. This made Chris sink even lower in despair as he continued his daily struggle for survival on the streets. But one day, Chris said, a man approached him and told him about the love of Christ. And it changed Chris's life. He ended up learning more over a period of time, professing his faith, getting baptized, and then becoming a preacher. He got married and had several beautiful children. He got a job at our church as well as a custodian, was, was also a bivocational minister at that time, pastoring a church nearby. And right there in the hallway, he praised God for saving him. I said, wow, Chris. Your testimony is amazing. It's one of the best I've ever heard in my life. And he said to me with real conviction, man, everybody says that. Everybody always says that. But your testimony is the best kind. Your testimony is the kind I want my kids to have. To grow up in church and hear about the love of God at an early age and develop faith while they're young and then grow in their spirituality along life's journey and walk with Christ the rest of their life. That conversation with Chris was a real epiphany for me. That was the day I learned that conversion stories are not to be ranked you have a conversion story like mine that's not dramatic, that's not the stuff of headlines, that involves growing up in church and developing faith in Christ without much drama, then praise God. If you have a dramatic, radical, miraculous conversion story in which God delivered you from 
grave circumstances or profound sin, then praise God. If you have a conversion story somewhere in between, with bumps along the way, and a decision to have faith as a teenager or an adult, and having seasons of prayer and then seasons of not really knowing God or trusting God or having seasons of being involved in church then not being involved in church and then coming back to church again and somehow you've come back around to faith then praise God and if you don't have a conversion story yet please know that we would love to help you write it if you feel like you're in the midst of a conversion process gravitating toward God but still working things out we want to be like Ananias and pray for you and encourage you and clarify the good news for you. But understand, we don't want you to have a conversion story just like Paul's. We don't want you to have a conversion story just like ours. We want you to have a conversion story just like yours. Amen.